All right, uh, welcome to uh, discipleship class number 27. Excited to uh, spend the next, uh, oh, I don't know, hour, hour and 40 minutes with you uh, in the Word of God. The uh, Bible says in Malachi that every time God's people uh, join together to uh, talk about Him, that He uh, records it in a book. And so uh, these times are obviously very valuable and very precious to our Heavenly Father, and um, I appreciate you uh, making them uh, valuable and important and impression, uh, uh, precious, amen, <laughs> uh, treasuring them uh, in your life as well. Praise God. So I'm excited about uh, the things we're going to be uh, looking into uh, today, and uh, I'll swap back over to our title slide. And um, this is, uh, again, discipleship class number 27, What is Man Part 14? And we're still on our subject, the power of words, and so we're going to uh, finish that up tonight, and the subheading is Unknown Tongues. So we're, we're going to talk about um, speaking in tongues tonight, or uh, I guess more accurately, uh, the gift of unknown tongues that is uh, available uh, to every believer through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, very excited uh, about that. Um, <clears throat> I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old. I was born again when I was five years old. And, um, of course, both very, very important uh, events in, in my life. And so I look forward to talking to you about that. Now, listen, I understand that there could be folks that are tuning in, watching this, that have been you know, taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for today, speaking in tongues is not for today, or if it is for today, it's not for everybody. So I'm just going to ask you to keep an open heart, open mind, as, um, as we look into some of these things uh, tonight. Praise God. <clears throat> but before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for uh, the truth and the wisdom that we have in your word. And Father, on top of that, you've given to us your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who leads us and guides us into all truth. And I thank you, Father, that he is here tonight. He is with us, Lord. He is in me. He is in those who are uh, watching this class, wherever they may be, whenever they may be watching it, Father. I thank you, Lord, that um, your Holy Spirit is uh, our advantage, according to Jesus. And he is the one that takes spiritual truth and makes it uh, understandable and applicable to our lives. He is our teacher, Father. I'm just an instrument, Lord, to be used by Him, and I ask that uh, my spirit, soul, and body become a portal through which Your wisdom may pass this evening from eternity into time and space. And Lord, I thank You that no weapon formed against us will prosper. I thank You for all this technology working uh, perfectly, Father, for Your glory so that uh, Your Word may be brought forth and Your people may be fed. And so we thank You for a great time together now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. All right, let's do just a, a quick review. We're not going to do our full review. We have been, uh, for some weeks now, in a section of our study looking at um, our being created in the image and likeness of God. And we've said because we are created in the image and likeness of God, we uh, have uh, certain characteristics or abilities. And uh, among those are our ability to think, reason, and form opinions. Uh, things pertaining to the mind, we could, we could just generalize that one. We also have the ability to agree, we have the ability to believe, and we have the ability to experience and express emotions. But in so many ways, all of these culminate in this fifth ability, and that is our ability to speak. So created in the image and likeness of God, um, we possess these characteristics, these, these qualities, abilities, 
um, because God possesses them and He created us to not only look the way He looks, but to function the way that He functions. And so um, when we say all of these culminate in our ability to uh, speak, we see, for instance, uh, emotions uh, uh, influence what we say and how we say it, uh, the way we say things. So we've spent now a class and a half uh, on the uh, power of our words and how important uh, the words that we speak actually are. Now, we shifted last week into um, a, a little deeper dive into this, uh, not that what we had looked at, but up until that moment was shallow or superficial. Certainly, we uh, have looked at many, many verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And among the things that we looked at, and I've got a 14-point review where I just kind of culminated some things that we're going to get to here in just a moment. But you know, just keep in mind that James says, the words that come out of your mouth chart the course that your life follows. And so if what comes out of our mouth doesn't change, then how can the course our life is taking ever change? But Jesus also taught us in Matthew 12 and 34 that's, that what's in our heart in abundance is going to come out of our mouths. So what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. What comes out of the mouth charts the course that um, our lives follow. And then we also see, uh, and I'll review some of these verses, but where we ended last week is where I want us to begin uh, tonight. And, and that is that the kingdom that is within us is brought forth from us by the words that we speak. Um, words that come out of us um, literally... Uh, produce the things in our lives, uh, good or bad, death or life, uh, blessing or cursing uh, that we experience in our lives. That's why Jesus said a good man out of the good treasure of his heart uh, using words brings forth good things. And, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart, again uh, implied using words, brings forth evil things. So many times we think a good man says good words and a bad man says bad words, but no, no, it's the words that come out that bring forth the things. And so we're going to dig into that um, a little more in depth tonight. So let's review by beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 1. And so I'm glad we're fresh. I know sometimes when we get towards the end of a class, you know, our, we're, we're kind of being stretched and our attention span is, is being stretched and our ability to endure is being stretched and it's, it's kind of like a runner, you know, you, you're, you're, you're stronger and you're fresher at the beginning of the race. Obviously, when you get towards the finish line, you're, you're, you're pouring it on, but, but um, the best of you uh, has already been expended. And so um, that's why a lot of times we'll, we'll do a you know, more extensive review or pick up and just reteach what we taught towards the end of one class to, to not only reinforce it, but um, to, to help, you know, establish these things in our minds. When, when we're talking about being fresh, um, I believe we can hear from God at any point throughout our day, but there's something about those first hours, you know, when we wake up in the morning, when our minds are fresh, everything's renewed, and our bodies, and man, I, I don't know, that I, I hear from the Lord more clearly uh, during those times than at any other uh, time, uh, you know, during uh, my day. And so anyway, praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and um, we'll begin at verse Number one, it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all ate the same spiritual, um, uh, all were baptized, I'm sorry, into Moses, in the cloud and in the sea, 
Now, verse 3, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, these verses are talking about uh, when God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. And we know that when they journeyed from Egypt to the promised land, that God provided, because they, they had to pass through a desert, uh, God provided food for them and God provided water for them. But here we have more details about that food and about that water in the sense that the Bible identifies the manna that they ate as spiritual food and the water that they drank as spiritual drink. Now, if you know about the water, the water actually flowed out of a rock. And all of this was a, a type and shadow figuratively pointing to uh, Jesus, who is the chief corner. He is the, the rock of our salvation. And so that rock represented him and, of course, the living water that we now enjoy as uh, his uh, sons and daughters, his offspring, his brothers and sisters, Jesus' brothers and sisters uh, in the earth. But the interesting thing here is that while this food is called spiritual, um, it, 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 it had physical substance to it. Uh, they could pick it up and eat it. It, it. it was something that they could handle, something they could put in a basket, something they could set on a shelf uh, in, their, in their tent, uh, something they could put in their mouth, chew up, swallow. It had taste, it had flavor. It, it, in other words, their senses could discern it. Um, but it wasn't physical. It wasn't physical because it, it didn't come from something grown or developed or manufactured from something that already existed uh, in, in, the, in the physical realm. But instead, it was something that passed from heaven into the physical realm. It came out of the heavenly realm, the invisible realm of heaven, into the visible realm uh, of the earth, uh, and, and it fed and, and nourished uh, God's people. Now, so just a few things. It was spiritual food, had physical substance. It satisfied their hunger, but it was not grown, developed, or processed naturally. This food uh, uh, came directly out of heaven to feed them. Okay, now I'm laying that down again tonight because this is, this is a precedent. We, we see these things in other places um, when they fished all night and caught no fish and Jesus said, put down the nets, and the nets were filled with fish to the point of breaking. Um, now, obviously, you can believe, and it's fine. The Bible doesn't specify. Uh, but the reason they fished at night is those waters were clear. And, and they could look in the water and see that there were no fish. And so it was only in obedience to what Jesus said to them that they dropped the nets down again. And then, literally, before their eyes, their nets filled with fish. I believe those fish passed from heaven into those nets. Um, how about when Jesus fed the multitudes of the little boys uh, fish and chips? Um, where did that food come from? It, it, was, it was the blessing of heaven on that food that multiplied it and, and fed those people. And so, um, you know, healing and miracles, all these things are coming out of the heavenly realm, passing into uh, the, uh, the, the physical realm. And yet this is, uh, you know, clarity on this. Uh, in a way that, that is, is unique in the Scripture, where something that was spirit in nature uh, was, was transitioned into something that was physical in nature. Why? So that people could enjoy it, so that people could be satisfied, so that people could be fed. Um, and so anyway, praise God, let's, let's keep building here. So let's go now to Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 33. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 33. Now before we do that, let me come back because 
We said this last week. Uh, I want to say it again tonight. Remember, Nicodemus comes to Jesus because he's witnessing Jesus do supernatural things. He's watching Jesus perform all these miracles, and Nicodemus is curious as to how Jesus is doing this. And Jesus told Nicodemus that the wind blows, um, and you don't know where it come from, comes from or where it goes, um, but you hear the sound of it. You see the effect of it. So what Jesus is saying here is that the miracles that he was performing were visible signs coming from an invisible source. It was things that people could see, things that people could benefit from, things that, that people could watch and witness, but it wasn't coming from anything or any place necessarily that somebody could watch or witness. So again, it was a visible sign coming from an invisible source. In, in the case of the manna, it was visible food that people could eat coming from an invisible source. That's why he called it spiritual food. That's why he called it spiritual drink. And then in that same verse there in John 3, Jesus said, So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's saying that everyone who's born again, every born again believer, has the ability to bring forth um, spirit things into the natural realm. Amen. Um, visible signs from an invisible source. Visible, uh, you know, supply from an, a supply that, that can't be seen with uh, the physical eye. So how do we... How do we do that? I don't know if you're curious about that. I'm extremely curious about that. Um, number one, because we're ministers, right? And, and, and to minister is to um, connect earthly needs with heavenly resources or, or to connect you know, people that are in physical need uh, with uh, answers and resources uh, that come from a heavenly or spiritual place. And so let's go back now to Matthew chapter 12 and uh, verse number 33. Uh, Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. I did not say this last week, and it's so important. I'm going to come back um, uh, and, and make sure that we're looking at one another through the camera when I tell you this and remind you of this, okay? Um, the apples that will come upon an apple tree they come from inside of that tree, uh, out of that tree. Uh, I, I sometimes, in a, little, in a little bit silly, you know, I love Christmas time. It's one of my favorite times of the year. And um, when we decorate the tree, we hang ornaments on the tree. The ornaments that are on a Christmas tree do not come from inside the tree, out onto the branches of that tree. They're placed there. But um, no one comes and hangs apples on an apple tree. The apples that are on that tree, the fruit of that tree, come from inside of that tree, out of that tree. Now, we take that for granted, but just pause for a moment and think about how amazing that is. I mean, the, the, you know, don't knock on the tree hard, it'll hurt your hand. The, the, you know, the, 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 how solid that tree is, how dense and how hard that tree is, yet um, that tree pushes that fruit from inside of itself, out of itself, uh, for us to enjoy. So in the same way, um, he's saying, uh, make the tree good and its fruit good, or the tree bad and its, and its fruit bad, for a tree's known by its fruit. But Jesus isn't talking about a fruit tree. He's talking about people. He's talking about human beings. In particular here, he's talking about religious leaders who you know, presented themselves as, as being men of God, but the fruit that was being produced by their lives was, was confusing um, you know, remember, these are the same men who uh, were behind 
Jesus, you know, being, uh, you know, punished and executed, uh, you, you know, and, and murdered uh, on the cross. So let's keep going here. Verse 34, he says, brood of vipers, how can you being evil uh, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I want you to notice here that when Jesus is talking about fruit, he, he uses a fruit. When he's talking about words, he's talking, he, he uses words or, or you know, speaking, um, you know, good things. So out of the abundance of the heart, he says the mouth speaks. So what's in the heart is going to come out of the heart, but it, it's coming out through the mechanism or through the vehicle of words. In other words, again, Jesus isn't just talking about um, the words that these men speak. He's talking about the fruit that their lives are producing um, and, and how that's coming from a deeper place inside of them. Let's keep going. Verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you, for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. All right? Now, let's go quickly now to a couple of other verses. Again, we looked at these last week. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Amen. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Now here Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And we've had uh, classes already where we you know, dug deep into what the Bible says about the kingdom. But the kingdom of God, among other things, is talking about the reign of God, the rule of God, the realm of God, the resources of God. Everything that has to do with the government of God but remember, Jesus took that kingdom from the third heaven and brought it to us here on the earth below. And so when Jesus was on the earth, he said that the kingdom was as close as your outstretched hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. But he went on to say to those who have been born again that the kingdom is now even closer than your outstretched hand, but that the kingdom is now within us. And that's what we find here in Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, meaning there will not be a ceremony where the ribbon is cut. It's not like dedicating you know, a building or you know, when some uh, grocery store chain opens up a, a, a new location and they, and they dedicate it. it that, that's what it means coming with observation, where we observe the opening of, of, of that. There's a, a really large shopping mall here uh, uh, near where I, where I live and I worked in one of the stores when that mall, the grand opening of the River Chase Galleria and so for many years and they may still do it um, every year on the anniversary of the opening of that mall they observe it and, and they celebrate it and they, and they have sales and you know special things and events and, and what have you. Uh, one year they even had a circus that came into the, into the food court so um, this is what he means it does not come with observation. In other words he's saying it doesn't work like that nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is where? It's within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Now, this is, uh, again, very important that, to understand and recognize that you are one as a born-again believer, that God has put his kingdom inside of you. Now, the kingdom of God contains the answers, the resources that people around you need. Uh, the miracles that Jesus performed he didn't perform them according to an Old Testament model, uh, the prophet of the model. Remember, every work that Jesus did, every miracle that Jesus performed, um, with the exception of one, we see performed by Old Testament prophets. 
Um, we see things like healing. We see things like raising the dead. We see things like multiplying of, of, of food. We see even like axe heads floating, which would be compared to Jesus walking on water, where the laws of nature, so to speak, um, were, were overcome uh, by uh, spiritual or heavenly things. But after all, they were created by those things, and so the heavenly things are greater than the natural or the, the physical things. But the one exception is the casting out of demons. And Jesus made this statement. He said, if you see me casting out demons by the finger of God, it can only mean one thing, that the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the miracles that Jesus performed was not by a special portion or measure of the anointing of God's Spirit as they did in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Jesus was given the Spirit of God without measure. So Elijah performed miracles because a measure of the Spirit of God was placed upon him. Jesus was given the Spirit of God without measure, and the miracles that he performed were demonstrations of God's kingdom. This is what we learned in John 3 where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and, and he says you can't see the kingdom, the source from which the miracles are being performed, nor can you enter into and be a part of the kingdom unless you're born again. Okay, so now Jesus has put that kingdom within you and, and, and that means wherever you go, the kingdom goes. Th that means, you know, wherever you are, the kingdom that's within you means the resources to meet people's needs wherever you are are present and available for them. So the question then um, remains, how do we access this kingdom inside of us so that people around us can be benefited, can, can benefit from it, can, 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 can be helped, can be ministered to? And so we see uh, uh, that, that, act, that kingdom that's in you is a treasure that's in you. And so a good man from the good treasure that's inside of him brings out good things how does he bring those things out? He brings them out by the words that he speaks. So how does, how does God convey his power into a situation? By the word of his power. His words become the conduit through which his resources and power flows into a situation. So when we speak the words of God, we see that his words in us are released into those situations. So we go now to Matthew uh, the 13th chapter, and in Matthew the 13th chapter, Jesus is teaching on, guess what? He's teaching on uh, the kingdom of God. He is instructing His disciples in all these things pertaining to the kingdom. Remember, this message is so important that in the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection uh, from the dead and before He ascended back to the throne of God, the Bible says that He consistently met with His disciples and He taught them and explained to them Again, things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So this message of the kingdom, it was Jesus' message. Jesus didn't just say, get saved. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' gospel was not just the gospel of salvation. His message was the gospel, the good news of the kingdom uh, among us and the kingdom inside of us. And how do we gain entrance into that kingdom by being saved, by receiving salvation in the new birth. We're born into it. And then once we're born into it, that kingdom now is inside of us. And so this is such an important thing for us to understand 
and emphasize. Pastors that are listening to me, please teach your people about the kingdom. Don't just teach them about salvation. Salvation is important, but salvation is entrance into the kingdom. The message Jesus taught us was His kingdom. And so the message of salvation that He explained to us was an understanding of how to enter into the kingdom and how to receive the kingdom and how for that kingdom to be inside of us. We are now citizens of the kingdom. Amen. And I could just go on and on and on with this. But in Matthew 13, Jesus has spent a, a I don't, we don't know the exact amount of time. We know there were times that Jesus would begin teaching in the morning and would teach till, till it was dark. He would teach and people would listen to him to the point that they didn't take a break to eat anything for two or three days. So, amen, we, we don't exactly know. I mean, just think about, you know, it, it's been a stretch for some of us, you know, to endure an hour and 40, hour and 45 minute class when, you know, the Apostle Paul taught, taught so long one time that a young man uh, fell asleep in a window and fell out uh, of a third story, I think it was, window, and died. And, of course, Paul went down and raised him from the dead. Um, so, amen. I don't know where we got this idea that a, that a sermon has to be 15 or 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> you know, amen. It, nor does it have to be two hours, but I'm just saying, Jesus spent a, a long amount of time teaching back to back to back, I think it was six or seven parables in a row, on the kingdom of God. And then after he finished that final teaching on the kingdom, he asked his disciples, are you understanding these things? Are you, are you, you know, getting these things? Are these things becoming a part of you? And of course, they said what I guess just about anybody would say, yeah, sure, Jesus, we're getting it. Well, Jesus said, because he knew that they didn't have it yet the way they needed it. And this is what Jesus said. I love the message translation of this. Um, this is what Jesus said in response to them. He said, then you see how every student well trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store that can, uh, who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. Exactly when you need it. So think about what he's saying here. Um, I, I told my story uh, last week uh, about a general store. It's now closed in the Hueytown area. I think it was technically in Bessemer right across the bridge in, in Bessemer uh, City proper, but um, called Gober's, and, and it was a grocery store, a general store, a hardware store, a, a, a feed store. Um, I mean, literally, you know, everything you can think of. But he's saying here, please allow the Holy Spirit to help you embrace this, that as a born-again believer with the kingdom of God inside of you, we have the ability, like the owner of a general store, to put our hands on and give to people anything they need, old or new, anytime they need it, exactly when they need it. Um, this is why in Father's infinite wisdom, he put that kingdom inside of you. Now, let's take a breath for a moment because we're going to come back and build on, on this. Um, but lest we forget, let me remind you that the, the Word of God and, and, and His words in your mouth um, are extremely, not only important, but um, powerful. Now, let me ask you a simple question, and, and it's not a trick question. It, the, the answer is obvious, but I want to ask it because I want to get your mind going in, in, a, in a certain direction, okay? Is prayer important? Yes, prayer is important, absolutely important. But... I don't believe you will ever understand 
the importance of prayer um, or the power of prayer until you understand first the importance and the power of words. In other words, prayer is important because words are important. And, and so in the same way, um, I've, I've already an introduction kind of clued you in that we're going to be talking some tonight about uh, speaking and praying in an unknown tongue. Um, so if you never understand the importance and power of prayer, then you'll never understand or never appreciate the importance and power of praying in an unknown tongue. But before you can really, you know, understand the importance and power uh, of, of both prayer in English and prayer in an unknown tongue, you've got to understand the importance and power of just words in general, okay? So I'm going to go through this list um, slowly. This is just a, a brief review and compilation of things that we've already covered either in the last couple classes, maybe a few of these go back even to classes further than that. But um, this, these are things that all involve the words we speak, the words we speak, okay? So I've, I've heard you, I know that um, <laughs> there are a lot of you who are like, Pastor Mark, leave, leave them on the screen for a minute so we can get them written down. And so um, I'm going to do that, but we're going to work our way through. Let me go ahead and warn you right fast um, because, um, you know, there's, there's, this list covers 14 things, and, it, and it's not exhaustive. Uh, by exhaustive, I mean we could probably, you know, dig out many more of these. Now, I think just about every one of them are going to end in the phrase, words we speak. So if you're taking notes, um, maybe just do the little dittos as you go down your page on words we speak, and that'll help you um, get this list written down. All right, so the first thing, um, and it's number one, I think, uh, for obvious reasons, um, the Bible teaches us that death and life hinge on the words we speak. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, the Bible teaches us. So death and life hinge on the words we speak. The power of the tongue means depends upon, um, hinge upon, turn upon, the words that we speak, okay? Number two, blessing or cursing um, is chosen by the words we speak. The Bible says, God speaking, that He sets blessing and cursing before us. He sets death and life before us. Choose life, choose blessing. So it's blessing or cursing is chosen by the words that we speak. We can speak um, uh, words that uh, bring forth blessing or we can speak words that bring forth cursing, okay? Now, number three, again, this one could, we could make an argument for it being number one, but Romans 10 teaches us that salvation is received by the words that we speak, that we believe in our heart and that we confess with our mouths that uh, Jesus is the Son of God and that God the Father raised him from the dead. So salvation is received by the words that we speak. But remember we looked at the passage in Colossians where we're instructed to live our lives for Jesus and in Him, our daily walk, as we received Him. So we received Him by believing in our heart and confessing with our mouths. And so we walk in Him and fulfill our purpose and destiny in Him um, by believing in our heart and confessing with our mouths. We're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. You receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit the same way you receive salvation, believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. 
You receive healing for your body the same way you receive salvation, believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth. So, again, we're looking at 14, a list of 14 things why the words that we speak are so vitally important. And number three on the list is salvation is received by the words that we speak. We just looked at this last one. Um, we are justified or condemned by the words that we speak. Justified or condemned by the words that we speak. And so what we um, learn later, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew, the 12th chapter. What we learn later is that justification means to be made righteous, and being made righteous has to do with receiving salvation. And so number three and number four are definitely connected uh, with one another. Now you say, well, what about condemned by the words that we speak? This, this would uh, certainly in, in cover a lot of things, um, but one of the key things that it covers would be those who reject um, Jesus and, and, and say no uh, to Him. Um, how important are our words? Number five, we will give an account for every idle word that we speak. Every idle word that we speak. So be careful uh, jesting and teasing and kidding. And, you know, if you catch yourself uh, frequently saying things like, I didn't really mean that. Okay, well, there's a lot of room there for the enemy uh, to uh, weasel uh, himself in and uh, hurt, you know, people's feelings be become hurt, your reputation uh, being diminished, uh, people believing things, wrong things about you, so forth and so on. So every idle word that we speak. So if we will answer for the idle words that we speak, um, how much more will we give an account for the words that we spoke where um, our, our minds weren't in idle, our minds were, were in uh, first or second or third gear, or our minds were in reverse. Uh, in other words, going backwards, being negative instead of positive. So our words are important, number five, because we'll, we will give an account for every idle word that we speak. All right, now, number six, new screen. The course our life follows is determined by the words we speak. The course our life follows is determined by the words we speak. Wow. Number seven, thoughts are accepted or rejected by the words we speak. Now, we covered this when we talked about um, our emotions, and we said that, um, that emotions are uh, produced by our thoughts and our thinking. So emotions are thought-driven. And then our choices, including the words that we speak, um, are influenced by our emotions, and that we would never gain control over our emotions until we learned how to be disciplined in our thoughts and thinking. And so Jesus said, take no thought by saying. So we reject thoughts by speaking words, or we receive, accept thoughts by speaking words. So in the same way that you'll never control your choices until you learn to control and manage your emotions, you'll never control and manage your emotions until you control and manage your thoughts, and you'll never control and manage your thoughts until you learn to control and manage your words. And I know sometimes we think, well, wait a second, Pastor Mark, do, do thoughts not give um, uh, birth to or give way to words? Yes, they do. And, and so there can be a, a, a negative feedback loop there. 
uh, or there can be a positive one. Um, so when, for instance, worrisome thoughts come, Jesus said, do not take the thought by saying, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to respond to this? Um, how are we going to pay this bill? Where are we going to get a new pair of shoes for our children? So forth and so on. All right. Now, verse number eight. Mountains are moved out of our way by the words we speak. Jesus taught this in Mark 11, and I think it's Matthew 17. Mountains are moved out of our way by the words that we speak. Now, this is a, um, another uh, dimension or another aspect of what we were talking about a moment ago. Um, what's in you, obviously, you know, you can holler at a mountain and it's not going to move. He's talking about the faith that's in you and the Holy Spirit and the authority that's in you, the kingdom that's in you being released out of you uh, that will uh, move those mountains. Think of obstacles. Think of things that seem impossible, things that seem immovable. Um, Jesus said, speak to them and without doubting, believing in your heart, and they will be moved. Number nine, receiving from God involves the words we speak. He said, you have not because you ask not. He said, and sometimes you receive not because you ask, but you ask amiss. In other words, you don't use the right words when you ask. So receiving from God involves the words we speak. We're going to look at some verses in, in a few minutes um, out of Romans 8. Hopefully we'll get there. That was ambitious saying a few minutes. Um, but, you know, where the Bible says that... Um, we're, we're not getting the results that we need um, because we're not uh, using the words that need to be used to get those um, answers, to get those results. Number 10, temptations are overcome by the words we speak. Temptations are overcome by the words we speak. Well, when Satan came to tempt Jesus, who is our example in all things, how did Jesus overcome those temptations? He overcame those temptations by speaking the word of God out of his mouth. Every time the devil tempted him, Jesus responded by saying, it is written. That's why I've told you one of the most important questions you can ever ask and learn how to answer is this. What does the word say? What does the word of God say about your situation? Say what the word says. That's what Jesus did when the devil was trying to trick him and, and confuse him and tempt him, and, and get him uh, to fall for one of his traps, Jesus overcame those temptations by speaking the word. And so, number 10, the words that we speak are so vitally important because the temptations we face are overcome by the words that we speak. All right, we're going now to a new screen, going once, going twice. Number 11, our third screen, and we'll get the rest of these on this screen. We see in the scriptures that what is already bound in heaven, is bound on the earth by the words we speak. So for something to be bound means for it to be, um, to be refused or rejected or stopped in its tracks. Um, for instance, um, uh, you know, sickness and disease is bound in heaven. And, and Jesus said, you know, whatever you bind on earth, having already been bound in heaven, will be bound on earth. So we're coming into alignment, coming into agreement. Number 12 is uh, likened unto it. And that is what is allowed in heaven is allowed on earth. Again, by the words that we speak, whatever you loose on earth, having already been loosed or allowed in heaven, um, will be 
loosed on the earth. So we, we stop things and we allow things by the words that we speak. Number 13, threats in our environment are altered by the words we speak. Threats in our environment are altered by the words we speak. Jesus is our example. When violent weather threatened him and his disciples, Jesus didn't say, hunker down boys and ride out the storm. He spoke to the storm. He commanded the storm. He used words to put violent weather patterns in their place. And he taught us and instructed us to do the same thing. So threats in our environment are altered by, changed by, stopped by the words that we speak. And now, number 14, the riches of our Father's kingdom become a reality by the words we speak. The riches of our Father's kingdom become a reality by the words we speak. Wow. Now I'm going to leave that list up there for a moment. Give me a sip of water. The riches of our Father's kingdom become a reality. By reality, I'm talking about made real in the physical realm. Something that goes from existing deep inside your spirit to something that, that, that is sitting in your driveway. Um, the riches of our Father's kingdom become a reality by the words we speak. Now... Given the importance of our words, does it not make sense that the Holy Spirit, and Jesus identified Him as our helper, does it not make sense that the Holy Spirit, our helper, would like to help us with our words? I'm... I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to pause so long that you think I've lost audio signal, but think about that for a moment. I mean, I just gave you a list of 14 things that are so vitally important to so many different aspects of our lives, our provision, our well-being, our effectiveness in helping other people, um, our, our ability to overcome temptation, our ability to, to make the right choices by experiencing and enjoying the right emotions by taking authority over our thoughts. Just Again, I'm not going to try to rehash the whole list of 14, but in light of that list, and given the importance of our words, does it not make sense that the Holy Spirit, who I'll show you in a moment, Jesus identified as our helper, that He would like to help us with our words? Let me, let me try to say it another way. Let me try to say it another way, all right? What if the Holy Spirit, you know, was here to help us with everything but our words? <laughs> and there's what if he said, nah, you're on your own when it comes to words? Well, I mean, how could he then effectively help us? If our words are vital to receiving from God and the Holy Spirit is in us to help us receive from God, then we need to let him help us um, with the words that, that need to be spoken so that we can receive the answers that we so desperately, urgently need in our lives. Um, let, me, let me give you one other side of this. Um, 
James said, and I don't have that verse readily available, so I'm not going to go back and try to find it, but one of the problems that James uh, pointed out when he was talking about by this Holy Spirit, so I should really say the Holy Spirit pointed out through the Apostle James, is the power of our words. He's, he, he said that if a man can tame his tongue, he can tame his whole body. So that could probably be number 15. It kind of is related to overcoming temptation. But, um, you know, we control our, our life, our being, by controlling our words. If you can't control what comes out of your mouth, you can't control um, other aspects of, of your existence and your reality. So obviously those are covered in the 14. But James went on to say, talking about the, the, the course that our lives follows, like the, the rudder and the bit, um, and changing things by applying the pressure with, our, with the words that we speak. But then he went on to say as well that our tongues are an unruly evil and that they've been set on fire by hell itself. And, and so we're, we're cursing people, we're, we're causing so much destruction and we're, and we're setting things on fire with, with, the, with our, our, the words that we speak because our tongues are being manipulated, even in some cases controlled by the forces of, of evil and hell. And so again, does it not make sense to you that not only would the Holy Spirit want to help us with that, but that, the, that, that our Creator Father would, our, would want our tongues to be set on fire with the fire of heaven. That our, our tongues would be set on fire with the fire of heaven. And so that's what we see happening symbolically, literally um, for them, symbolically for you and me, is that when the Holy Spirit was initially poured out, um, you know, this was marking a new day, um, the day of Pentecost. And, um, and so when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the upper room and the first 120 born-again believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit, we see that tongues of cloven fire, cloven tongues of fire uh, were resting upon their heads. Um, cloven, cl excuse me, cloven, anything with a cloven hoof in the Old Testament meant clean. So he's talking about a purified tongue and now a tongue that's no longer uh, on fire with the fires of hell, but now a tongue that, that's been set on fire with the fires of heaven. So in the same way that uh, people went about with a tongue set on fire by hell, um, causing hell fire, if you will, uh, you know, misery in people's lives, now a tongue set on fire with the fires of heaven means that we can bring forth literally um, the good things of heaven and the earth. What did he, how did he teach us to pray in English? Uh, kingdom come so that the will of God uh, can be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want to talk to you some more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and ultimately get to what the Bible is telling us and teaches us about speaking in an unknown tongue and specifically about praying in an unknown tongue. This, this is when your lips and tongue and vocal cords are speaking words, but not words that are coming out of your brain or out of your understanding or knowledge of language, but it's your uh, mouth and tongue speaking words that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a heavenly language. 
Uh, Paul said, if I speak with the tongues of men, meaning a known language, or if I speak with the tongues of angels, this would be a heavenly tongue or a heavenly language, not one that he went to school and learned, but one that the Holy Spirit gives him the utterance of. The Holy Spirit empowers him or enables him um, to, to speak and use that language. Of course, that you find those verses in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul's talking about the importance of love um, and not losing sight of the importance of love uh, alongside our, our operating in um, these various gifts of God's Holy Spirit. Now, before we go further into that, let's take a step back and let's look at a few things that Jesus said to us about the Holy Spirit in the uh, waning days of His ministry on earth as a man. This is before, leading up to and before uh, His uh, betrayal and crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and then ascension to uh, the throne of God. So let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and um, verse number 16 and 17. John 14, 16 and 17. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, there are some important words here. Every word's important, but some important words for you uh, to uh, recognize and understand. Um, first of all, when Jesus says, I'll give you another helper, um, another would imply more than one. And so, Think of it as both Jesus being a helper for you and the Holy Spirit being a helper for you. Um, we also see in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is identified as being an advocate for you and that Jesus is also an advocate with you. In our current situation, current meaning slightly different from what it was when Jesus first gave these words in John 14. Remember, in John 14, Jesus is telling them about something that's going to happen, that's going to come to pass. And so when Jesus is telling them this in John 14, He, he is there present with them. So our current situation is different because now Jesus is seated at the right hand uh, of His Father and the Holy Spirit is here with us on the earth. So we have an advocate um, representing us and our interests in heaven before the throne of God. And we have an advocate here on the earth with us, um, helping us, um, speaking on our behalf, crying out from inside of us uh, back to God in heaven uh, from here on earth below. We also see that the Holy Spirit is identified as a helper, uh, King James Version translates this comforter. I prefer helper, not because comforter is a bad translation, but it leaves a lot of people to think of the Holy Spirit as only uh, you know, there to comfort someone in a time of loss or in a time of grief. So you, know, you have someone that you know, has a, a family member that passes, 
And so we pray that they would be comforted. And certainly, you know, Father God does this through the Word of God. Comfort one another with these words. And He does this by the Holy Spirit. Um, and then He does it through you and me. Uh, you know, sons of encouragement, sons of consolation, uh, ministers of reconciliation. But the reason I prefer helper here is because I don't want people to get the idea that the only thing that Holy Spirit wants to help us do is comfort us in a time of loss or grief. The Holy Spirit's assignment, um, just like Jesus had an assignment that, that they, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit agreed on before they ever created us, Jesus had an assignment. The Holy Spirit has an assignment, and His present-day assignment continues in, in our lives, and will continue until the church, uh, God's body, the body of Christ, God's people, are removed from the earth by way of the rapture and um, the bursting forth uh, of the dead in Christ from the graves. Now, so another helper, um, the, the original um, word in the Greek is the word paraclete, and uh, the transliteration is spelled P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E, -E, paraclete. I've got a slide on that somewhere, um, but while I'm here, I'm just going to go ahead and, and drill through these things. Um, so paraclete is, is talking about a helper, and when you put another helper, paraclete, it's the idea of another called alongside to help. So Jesus came alongside us to help us. Remember the, the concept he gave of a yoke, um, take his yoke upon you. Him, take his yoke upon yourself, learn of him. Um, the, the, I, the imagery there is an experienced oxen being linked together with an in, inexperienced oxen so the inexperienced ox can learn from the experienced oxen. And so Jesus wants to do life with you. He wants to walk alongside you and you walk alongside him throughout um, your life. Now, Jesus, of course, has returned to the Father where we're concerned. And it's the Holy Spirit who is now um, alongside us. So Jesus says that he's going to pray to the Father. How many of you know Jesus' prayers are, to the Father are answered? Amen. He's praying to the Father that the Father will give us another helper. And I'm going to put this back up on the screen. Notice that Jesus says this helper, this Holy Spirit, um, he's going to pray that the Father will give him to you and that he may abide with you forever. 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 That means the Holy Spirit that's, that's with you and in you now is going to be with you and in you forever. Forever. Okay? Forever is a long time. Now, we also see in verse 17, same thought, just broken into two verses. If you notice, verse 17 begins with the lowercase t. When this was originally spoken, it wasn't spoken in chapter and verse. It was spoken, um, you know, straight through. So the context is that he's going to abide with you forever. And the Holy Spirit that's going to abide with you forever is also going to be in you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be in you. And when he comes to dwell in you, he will abide in you, dwell in you forever. Abide and dwell, those words are the same word, just translated differently in the two verses. All right, now. Jesus says, the spirit of truth um, whom the world cannot receive. The reason the world can't receive him is you've got, you got to receive Jesus. You've got to be born again um, in order to receive uh, the Holy Spirit. So he says, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But he's talking to his disciples you know, now that are present. He's talking to all of us. But remember, now he's saying that the Holy Spirit 
Um, remember, he rested upon Jesus. And so Jesus has said he dwells with you now, but there's coming a day when he won't just be with you, but he will be in you. And him coming to live and dwell inside of you forever uh, occurs through the new birth. This is when a man or woman is born again and God puts a new spirit, a newly freshly born again spirit inside of you through the new birth. And then your newly born again spirit and God's Holy Spirit become one spirit. Now, let's move to John 16 and 7. John 16 and 7, Jesus speaking, He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart to you, but if I depart, I will send Him to you. If I depart, I will send Him to you. Now, I'm going to leave this on the uh, overlay uh, again for a moment because... Jesus is saying something here that, in other words, if you put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, for that matter, put yourself in your own shoes. He's telling them that He is about to leave them. He's telling them that He is about to depart from them. He, he has been with them now pretty much every waking moment and most sleeping moments um, for three years for the better part of three years. And he is about to leave them. And they are very saddened by this. Um, and they're saddened for a lot of reasons. They're saddened because he's their friend. They're saddened because they love him. They're saddened because they've become very used to and familiar with being around him. But they're also saddened because they're viewing this as an end of the run. They're viewing this as, as Jesus' three-year run of, of doing what he did and how fun and exciting and, and amazing all of that was, that now he's leaving. And when he leaves, in their, in their thinking, when he leaves, it's, it's all going to be over. And so Jesus says these amazing words. He says, I'm telling you the truth. This is not going to seem true, but it's true that I'm leaving and you're going to be better off than with me being here uh, uh, in your presence. Now I'm going I'm to switch back over because not that I can see you, but <laughs> I want to I look at you as you try to process that because, you know, it just, you know, how many times have I thought it and said it over the years? Man, I would have loved to have been on the earth when Jesus was here in the flesh. Um, and I got that. I'm not saying that's, you know, a, a wrong thing to say. But often it carries with it the idea that they had it better when Jesus was here with them in the flesh than we have it now with the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us. But Jesus said, so if Jesus said it has to be true, so this means Jesus understands something that, that, that we don't yet understand, that He has a perspective on something that we don't have that we absolutely desperately need. And so part of this is to, is to be understood is that when Jesus was here with us, uh, and with His disciples in human form, remember, He could only be in one place at one time, and He could only be with His disciples. He could cheer them on from a distance. He could be right alongside them. But the one thing He could not be was inside of them. And so He says, it's to your advantage. Um, the King James Version says expedient. It means you're better off with the Holy Spirit inside of you um, than Jesus present with you and around you. 
So he says, it's, your advantage, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So Jesus returns and sends the Holy Spirit. He returns back to heaven and sends the Holy Spirit. That's what happened, in essence, if you will, on the day of Pentecost. Um, Jesus uh, returns back to the Father. And then um, this was 40 days after his resurrection. Excuse me. Just to orient you here, Jesus was crucified on Passover 50 days. That's where Pente comes from, 50. 50 days after Passover, they celebrated the Feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon the uh, original born-again disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, this marked the outpouring. And so, you know, those two days, the, day, the, the, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, were two extremely important days on the Jewish calendar. And so these two um, world-changing, eternity-changing, history-changing events um, occurred uh, in conjunction with these two high holy days um, on the Jewish calendar. So um, if Jesus says it's to our advantage, how many of you agree that we need every advantage that we can get? We need every advantage that we can get. Now, Jesus came to do two very important things for you. Jesus came to do two very important things for you. He came, number one, to take away your sin. Jesus came to take away your sin. And then number two, Jesus came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He came to take away your sin, and He came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He came to take away your sin. He came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying that this is all that Jesus came to do for you. Obviously, He came to teach us. He came to reveal the Father to us. He came um, to make all things new. He came, um, you know, we start getting into things like Him dying on the cross. That was what He did to take away your sin. Him being buried, Him being resurrected. Um, all of those things were things that Jesus did, um, but they fall under the category of what He had to do in order to take away your sin. So these two primary things, of course, we, we have those confirmed to us by the Old Testament prophets up and including, up until and including the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, who in no uncertain terms said of Jesus, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world, that he um, did not baptize in water, that John, spoke, speak, John the Baptist speaking of himself said that he baptized in water, but the one coming after him would baptize us in Holy Ghost and fire. So, Jesus came to do two very important things for you. Take away your sin, baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This is so important because there, there are so many people 
who are willing to let Jesus take away their sin, but they are not willing to let him baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Um, it's not a trick question. Uh, you may know the answer, you may not. How many people did Jesus baptize in water? The answer is zero. He did, his disciples baptized a whole lot of people in water. Jesus did not baptize a single, according to the Gospel of John, did not baptize a single person in water. Why? Because he didn't come to baptize in water, he came to baptize in the Holy Spirit. So important, among other things that we see in Scripture, was Jesus baptizing us in the Holy Spirit, is that he chose not to baptize, was instructed not to baptize in water, so that people would not get the two confused. Now, let's talk about this baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4. It says this, And being assembled together with them, He commanded them, this is Jesus, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me. I'm not sure I understand. Well, Siri on my watch doesn't understand. You probably heard her say that. Siri, you're not alone. A lot of people don't understand, so praise God. All right. So Jesus said, for those that he appeared to after his resurrection from the dead, spent time with them off and on consistently for 40 days. He is about to ascend. He is about to to leave this earth and return back to the throne of the universe at his Father's right hand. He told them, he said, do not leave Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. All these things were happening in Jerusalem. And so people were there. They were there for the Feast of Passover. They traveled to Jerusalem. But not all these people lived in Jerusalem. But Jesus told them to stay there un until they received um, the promise of the Father, and he, and he said, which you have heard of me. Now let me come back. Or, I'm sorry, which you have heard from me. Well, when did they hear it from him? They heard it from him in John 14, John 16. It, we could have looked at more verses that Jesus um, gave to us about the Holy Spirit, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about the Holy Spirit coming to live in us and then ultimately um, flow and operate through us. Okay? So, let's go back to the screen. Jesus says in verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, And so we know now that it was basically 10 days, or roughly 10 days, or less than 10 days, um, depending on exactly when Jesus, you know, what time of day, I guess you could say that it was, that he ascended to the Father. Let's keep going. Verse number 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth and to the end of the earth. Okay? Now, 
let's, let's deal with this um, first verse uh, when they ask him. I'll put it back on the screen. Verse number 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, so many of the people who followed Jesus were expecting him to overthrow the Roman government and reestablish Israel as a physical nation. They, they wanted him to and were expecting Jesus to take an earthly throne and sit on a throne and restore Israel to the glory days of King David and King Solomon. And so this was something even some of Jesus' closest followers uh, were still expecting him to do. They were thinking more earthly instead of more spiritual. It's what I call the, the, the Nicodemus complex where, and I'm sorry Nicodemus, I, I shouldn't say that. But remember initially um, Nicodemus uh, saw everything through a fleshly physical lens. And Jesus said, you must be born again. And they said, Nicodemus says, how can a man when he's full grown go into his mother's womb and be born a second time? He's trying to understand it from a physical perspective. And so they're trying to understand Jesus being a king and his kingdom in an earthly physical sense. And so this is when Jesus says, look, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, um, it's not about an earthly kingdom that these things will come to pass in their own time and in their own season, and Father has put those things in his own authority. But he's saying, but you, on the other hand, verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. So he's, he's trying to emphasize here what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is for, why it's necessary, what it's going to produce or, or, or um, enable um, in their lives. And he says that when they receive uh, you know, this promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit being poured out, and, and, and him, uh, them, them being baptized um, uh, in uh, this Holy Spirit power, that they'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, power to be witnesses, representatives, ambassadors, but now watch this, this ought to give us a clue here, because one of the arguments that, that you hear a lot of people make is that they believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit um, only served a limited purpose, time, or scope. In other words, there are a lot of people who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they believe in speaking in tongues, but that it was only for the early church to get it off the ground um, you know, to get things rolling and started, and when the last apostle passed away, that somehow that put an end uh, to these things for you and me. Nothing could be further from the truth, and I'm going to show you that uh, again and again in Scripture. But here is, you know, one, to be honest with you, that I've never really recognized until I just read it to you a moment ago. He's saying the Holy Spirit will empower born-again believers to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, okay, and to the end of the earth. And to the end of the earth. Well, there, there are places in 2021, there are places on planet earth where um, a witness for Jesus has not yet been given. And so until um, the witness 
of Jesus is not just in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth, the Holy Spirit will still be empowering people to do these things. Amen? <laughs> All right, I can hear you screaming amen at your radio, television, AirPods, whatever it may be. Now, let's go from here to Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse number 1. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says this, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, cloven tongues of fire is how it reads in the King James Version, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I want to give you some, um, we'll talk about this in just a second. I'm give you some uh, terminology here that you may or may not have heard before. Um, when we explained a moment ago about Pentecost, um, so if you've ever heard a church referred to as a Pentecostal church, a Pentecostal church, um, that's speaking of a church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an experience for born-again believers today. So that would be a Pentecostal church. You may have in the past heard of a church being called a charismatic church. A charismatic church. A charismatic church uh, would also be a Pentecostal church, um, one that believes the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, is for the born-again believer today, for every born-again believer today. Um, but the charismatic comes from the Greek word charisma, which is referring to the gifts of the Spirit. So a charismatic church would be a church that operates in and practices, uh, utilizes the tools or the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Um, and there's 12 of those. Um, and... Um, I'm sorry, there's, there's nine of those, and we find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, and they include things like uh, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, uh, gifts of healings, and, um, and including uh, the, uh, the speaking or the utterance gifts, as they're often referred to, uh, speaking in an unknown tongue, as well as the interpretation of an unknown tongue. So that's a Pentecostal or a charismatic believer or a Pentecostal or charismatic church. That's where those things come from. Now, when they were in the upper room and the day of Pentecost had fully come, meaning it was the feast of Pentecost, it was 50 days past, since Passover, we see that it happened suddenly. And if you read all of this, we're not going to take the time to do it, you'll see where that 
sound of the rushing wind was, was not only heard by the people in the upper room, but it was so loud that it, it drew a crowd of people um, to that uh, area uh, to see uh, what it was and, and you know, what you know, was making such a, a loud sound. Um, when I was very young, I had left my bicycle out. It was a summer evening. It had gotten dark, and um, the rules were, you know, put the bicycles up. And so I went out to get the bicycle, and it was like something out of, you know, some kind of uh, UFO movie. Um, I was standing there at the edge of the woods. It was a wooded lot next to, uh, you know, where I was raised up there in Hueytown. And um, as I leaned over to get my bicycle, I heard this sound that I was certain was a... Um, uh, some kind of spaceship or rocket ship or something. It was a, I will, I will be gentle because, you know, your ears, but it was a sound, but just so loud that I, I, I literally, I was just froze looking up over the pine trees expecting any minute um, for it to come. Well, it was so loud, people started coming out of their, out of their homes, and, um, and it turns out there was a, a main gas valve about six miles from my house that had to be bled, and I, you know, never happened to my knowledge before, never happened since, um, but my dad did some investigating as to exactly what that sound was. So I kind of imagine it as a sound like that. I don't know, jet engine might be an exaggeration, I don't know, but it was a very loud sound, rushing, mighty wind that attracted the people there when this is happening. Now that is strategic because um, the men and women who are filled with the Holy Spirit are going to come out of that upper room and God is going to do a miracle and lots and lots of people are about to get born again, all right? Now, um, let's see, what else do we want to talk about here? This is a bit controversial and I, I don't want it to be, it shouldn't be. But if you read the book of Acts, you will see that when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, the next thing they did was speak in an unknown tongue. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in an unknown tongue. We see this over and over and over again. And so from that has developed this doctrinal teaching statement, okay, that speaking in an unknown tongue is the initial evidence of someone being born again. I'm Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's the initial evidence of someone uh, being baptized in or filled with the Holy Spirit. So uh, I'll show you some verses about that in just a moment. So that's a doctrinal statement, um, the initial evidence of being filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, thank you, Holy Spirit. What was the other one? Praise God. Um, oh, well, thank you. Um, the other doctrinal language that you may or may not be familiar with, but again, to, so that you'll hear it, the Bible says we should be able to give an answer to people who ask us, why we believe what we believe. And so the other doctrinal language is the idea of a separate and subsequent work. A separate 
and subsequent work. Okay, so the, the full statement will be the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate and subsequent work to the, the, the Holy Spirit's work of salvation. Meaning what? Meaning you get saved, and after you get saved, receive salvation, then you become a candidate to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In the same way that you get saved, and now you become a candidate to be baptized in water, um, you receive salvation, and you become a candidate to be baptized in, filled with the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, Once these men and women in the upper room are filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of God is on them um, and, and in them. They come out of the upper room and there's a crowd that is gathering because of the sound. And remember now, it's feast and so people have come from all over and they're hearing people speak in their native tongue who do not know their native tongue. Um, they're hearing people speak in languages that they've never learned or been taught, um, but they're hearing it. People from all over the world are hearing this. Um, so the men and women who are speaking in an unknown tongue, let's just say, um, Swahili or Urdu or French or Spanish. You know, the, these are different languages that um, uh, Burmese. Um, you know, these are different languages that, that are spoken in different places where uh, we, we have uh, ministry endeavors. Um, well, it would be like someone who doesn't know Swahili coming out of that upper room speaking perfect Swahili and someone in the crowd who may not speak Hebrew um, or Greek, hears someone speaking in their native tongue, speaking Swahili. And the Bible simply says that they are declaring the wonderful works of God. Now, as the crowd gathers and this miracle, this phenomenon has taken place, um, Peter, who by the way, not more than two months ago, denied that he even, you know, less than two months ago, denied that he even knew Jesus three times, was so embarrassed and ashamed and afraid of what might happen to him because he was a follower of Jesus. Now, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, full of power and boldness, he stands up and he begins to explain to the people what they're experiencing and witnessing, and, and a whole bunch of folks are going to get saved. But let's, let's uh, go... Um, to Acts chapter 2 now, and we're going to pull an excerpt out of um, uh, Peter's sermon. It's Acts chapter 2 and verse 16. So the question on everybody's lips is, what are we witnessing? What is happening? Um, if you remember, let me come back over. If you remember, there was such joy and excitement and uh, uh, confidence and boldness and lack of inhibition and all these things that the initial thought of the witnesses um, you know people that were witnessing the 120 men and women that they were drunk that they had literally gotten into some strong alcohol 
and, um, and were intoxicated with wine. And so Peter is going to set that straight, okay? And he's saying that, that these are not drunk as you suppose, okay? But what you're seeing is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right? Now, we take a lot for granted because we, what we know about God, we, we know based upon the conditions of this new covenant, the conditions of God's Spirit you know, dealing with people and wooing and convicting and convincing people and, and, you know, what it is for the veil to be torn and for the, the presence of God to be accessible. None of this was the case before Jesus died um, on the cross. And what we see, as we've already mentioned tonight, is that a, a very rare and select group of people in the Old Testament would have a measure of God's Spirit placed upon them, um, kings and priests and prophets primarily. And so unless you were one of those rare and unique people, um, you didn't have the Spirit of God on you, much less in you. And so for Joel to say that there was a coming day when God's Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. Remember, Elijah had a measure, um, a spoonful, if you will, a ladleful, a bucketful, whatever you want to say. He only had a measure or a portion of God's Spirit on him to do what he did. Elisha asked for two times, a double measure of what was on Elijah. And we see that Elisha received that double measure. But again, these are heroes of the Old Testament. These are, these are, you know, not just one man in a million, it's one man in millions that had the privilege and honor of being blessed by God and experiencing that from God. And yet Joel, who also had a measure, a portion of that spirit on him, was inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, there's coming a day when even the servants and slaves will prophesy when God's Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. That sons and daughters, not just men, see, again, men and women, not just grown adult men, but children, um, your sons, your daughters, seeing visions, dreaming dreams. I mean, this stuff used to be reserved for the Ezekiels of the world, um, you know, for the Daniels of the world. Now, he's saying there's coming a day when all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will have the opportunity for God's Spirit to be poured out upon them 
and for them to operate and function um, in these things. Now, the blood, let's come back over to it. Sun turned to darkness, moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. He's clearly talking about something that has not yet happened. Um, and I'm recording this uh, in, um, what is the March of 2021. Um, I think what today is the 24th uh, of March, 2021. So, we, you know, we haven't seen all of these things that Jesus said um, is coming to pass. And so the pouring out of his spirit um, happened on the day of Pentecost, but will continue um, until um, the, the, the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, verse, let's go now to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then um, Peter said to him, I'm sorry, I swapped over incorrectly there. Here we go. Then Peter said to every, uh, then Peter said to them, to the crowd that was gathered, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, the removal of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. All right, I'll leave this up on the screen for a moment. If once I get it on the screen, pardon me, please. Must have hit it one time too many or not one time enough. Peter said, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, what is the promise? Remember, the promise is not just the promise of salvation. Jesus said the promise of the Father is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father is what happened to men and women who had already been born again in the upper room uh, on the day of Pentecost. So when he's saying, for the promise is to you, certainly the promise of salvation is included in that, but the promise that what's, what's drawn them to that place uh, in and around that upper room, what are they witnessing? What, what is it that has attracted this crowd and then caused this crowd to stand there um, in, in, in awe and wonder. It's the outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of uh, speaking in an unknown tongue. So he's saying this promise isn't just for us. Um, it's for anyone and everyone who is born again receives salvation because the promise from the Father that Jesus told us about as recorded in the book of Joel um, is for you it's for your children. It's to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So do you see how just this verse alone um, just absolutely obliterates the argument that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was only for um, the uh, first apostles, that it was only for um, the uh, first people to be born again. Remember what Jesus said to them uh, at the end of Mark's gospel. He told them to go preach the gospel to every nation. And those who hear their word and believe, that's me and you. People, they preached. Other people heard it and believed. Those who believed because the original disciples preached the gospel. 
Jesus said they would speak with new tongues. Jesus said that, that, that we would lay our hands, or they would lay their hands on the sick and the sick would recover. So once again, the idea that miracles, signs, wonders, including the gifts of the Spirit, which include speaking in unknown tongues, somehow was only for the original disciples. It's, it's just a bogus argument, my friend, that, that is not supported by the Scriptures. Now, a popular question, and it one, it's one that needs to be answered and we will answer it. A popular question is, don't you receive the Holy Spirit when you are saved? And the answer is absolutely yes. When a man or a woman receives salvation, they also receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. Now, I'm going to lean into this for a minute because I want you to listen to me, please. Um, obviously, there's no one in the room with me right now. Normally, this room is filled with people, sometimes as many as 80 or, or more people in this room. And um, I can see people start to get nervous and people start to even squirm a little bit. Um, the devil does not want you receiving from Jesus everything he came to do for you. He certainly doesn't want you to receive salvation. And then he certainly doesn't want you, once you receive salvation, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's why people are scared of this. People feel threatened by this. I, people get defensive um, and even offended, offensive, uh, offended when we talk about this. Um, and one of the common arguments is people think all of a sudden that whoever's trying to explain to them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that they've got something that I don't have. And they don't think I'm a good Christian or that I'm as good a Christian as them or somehow I'm second rate because I don't believe baptism in the Holy Spirit is now or I have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I don't believe you have to speak in tongues to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. All of these arguments, I've heard all of them and more over the, over the years. Um, I'm asking you just to take a deep breath. I'm not, I'm not here to argue with anybody. I'm here to show you what the Word says. I'm here to try to help you receive something into your life experience that Jesus paid an ultimate price for you to be able to receive so that you could know. Remember, he said, though, people who aren't born again, people of the world, don't know anything about this because they can't see it, they can't understand it. you got to be born again um, in order to see these things, hear these things, and understand these things. Now, don't you receive the Holy Spirit when you're saved? Absolutely yes. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you... Um, when um, the disciples received salvation. It's in John chapter 20 and verse number 22. In John 20 and 22, this is when Jesus appeared to them after His resurrection. Some of them had seen Him. They came back and told them they were primarily women. They didn't believe the women. They should have believed them. So Jesus shows up and He, and he says, Peace. Peace be unto you. Settle down, guys. Everything's good. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Breathed on them, said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So did they receive the Holy Spirit? They absolutely did. 
This is when the disciples were born again. This is when they received salvation. This is when the Holy Spirit who had been with them, because the Holy Spirit was with Jesus, now came to live inside of them. And so Jesus says, he breathes on them, and he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. But now keep in mind, think about it for a moment. If, if they received the Holy Spirit here in this moment, then what happened in the upper room? Certainly something happened to them or they experienced something in the upper room that they did not experience in John chapter 20 and verse number 22. So why do I say this is when they were born again? Well, you can't be born again until Jesus dies on the cross and raises from the dead. And that's just now happened. And so in order for a man or woman to be born again, they have to believe in their heart that Jesus is the Son of God. They believe that already. But they also have to believe that God the Father raised him from the dead. He's standing in front of them. They now believe that God the Father has raised Jesus from the dead. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God the Father has raised him from the dead. Amen. You'll be saved. So this is when they received salvation. It's not going to be for another basically 47 days that they're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit that they received um, on this particular day. All right, now. Praise God. Time gets away from me so fast. I, amen. I, just a couple of more minutes. Let me, let me show you another example of this. It's in Acts chapter 19. We'll do this and then we'll uh, conclude this, this particular class. And we'll finish these things uh, next week, class 27. But Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now let's stop right here for a minute. Here you've got men, there's 12 of them we find out later in, the, in this chapter. 12 disciples who have received salvation. They, they are born again. And Paul asks them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Obviously, Paul is asking them questions. Um, he, he met these men. He finds out that they believe in God. He finds out that they believe in Jesus. He, in other words, they're having a conversation here. And he finds out that they've accepted uh, you know, the remission of sins, that they've been baptized in water um, in the name of Jesus. And, and he finds out that... Um, you know, that they've committed themselves to, to learning and growing. That's why they're called disciples. But then he asked them, he says, well, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Well, you can't call Jesus Lord. You can't believe on Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. So he's clearly asking them here if they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And um, they said, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. In other words, nobody had explained it to them yet. Nobody had told them about 
this other experience that Jesus um, you know, has uh, made available for them. Okay? So he says uh, to them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism, which we know was a water baptism. Then said Paul uh, to them, I'm sorry, let me put this back on the screen here. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were baptized in water. So you can be born again and go to heaven and have not been baptized in water. And, and again, this is one of those things that people just insist on believing you have to be baptized in water. The thief on the cross was not baptized in water. Is it a good thing to be baptized in water? Absolutely, positively. Do I baptize people in water? Absolutely, positively. If you've been born again, should you do it? Like yesterday already, yes. But it's... I'm, I'm going to go back, praise God. So when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now look what happened. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues, they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. Again, notice what happened. They're already saved. Now something else is happening to them. The Holy Spirit is coming on them in a way that He has not come on them before. Now let me see, and I'll finish with this. It's a good stopping place right here. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It is about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. Not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not a lemon ice box pie that you get one slice when you're born again and you get two more slices when you're baptized. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you've been born again. So when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, He doesn't happen like it happened in the, old, in the, in the day of Pentecost when He fell on them. He came from heaven upon them. Now He's poured out on the earth and if you've been saved, He lives in you. So when the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, it's when the Holy Spirit who's in you, you surrender to Him in a greater way than you ever have before, and you allow Him to flow up, out in, flow up from you, out of you. Jesus said it to be like rivers of living water flowing from inside your innermost being up and out of you. Okay, And, and then the surrendering of your body to him to flow up from inside of and out of um, includes the surrendering of your tongue to allow him to give you words to speak that you'd never learned and wouldn't know how to speak unless he gave them to you. Amen. Amen. All right, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for what we've covered so far this evening. Thank you, Father, first of all, for speaking specifically to me this morning about spending more time on these things in these classes and not to just give token mention to it. And so thank you that you're helping me do that and that people who are receiving and hearing this are benefiting from it. Father, I pray right now for that one who's hungry for you. They want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, Father. Lord, I ask them just to pray this simple prayer. Father, I, I want everything from you that you have for me. And I ask you to fill me now 
I ask you to fill me now with the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray now that as, as men and women are praying this prayer, Father, that the Holy Spirit is beginning to rise up in them. And Father, that they would begin, as he does that, to surrender their tongue to him and begin to speak words out of their mouths, that they would begin to speak and pray in an unknown tongue. Be filled, be filled, my brother, be filled. My sister Rom Brosa Kinimia Lebete, Siroboko for Processi Randa Alete, Ininia Boposoniniba, Kalese Rote, Hikata, Frose Pitenesi Kene. Father, may they surrender their tongue now to the Holy Spirit and that pressure that they're feeling in their abdomen, Lord. May they surrender and begin to speak those words that may sound silly to their ears but are profound and powerful, Lord, as you plant the heavens. Lord, with your words, putting your words, heavenly language, Father, in their mouths. Well, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy, for your love and your power. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, look at me for a minute. M-A-R-K at hccnow.org. Mark at hccnow.org. Mark at hccnow.org. HCC now stands for Heritage Christian Center, N-O-W. Now, hccnow.org, okay? If you were just baptized in the Holy Spirit, please email me. If you're not sure if you were just baptized in the Holy Spirit, please email me. If you would like to know more about it, please email me, and we're going to obviously talk more about it next week. Praise God. Until then, good things coming. Uh, I hope... You can tune in tonight for our evening service at 7 and then our Sunday morning service um, at 10.30 in person or live. Easter's in two weeks. If you don't have a church home to celebrate Easter in, you're welcome to come and celebrate it with us. We'll be enjoying communion together, among other things. Um, Sunday morning, I preached part 5 of a sermon series entitled Understanding the Power of Self-Image. Um, I'm not selling you this. I'm tempted to pay you to listen to it is, is how much I am convinced it'll transform your life. And so if you have an opportunity to access those, again, they're on my Facebook page. The same way you're accessing this, you can access those sermons. All right. Amen. You be blessed. Tell somebody around you good things coming.